Today I want to talk about storms. Probably not a good topic for me today, uh, being in the middle of one, and uh, personally not having a very good history of how I behave in storms, so uh, perhaps not a good topic for me, but it's next in our book, and it's kind of hard to skip, you know, 20, 30 verses without somebody picking up on the fact that, look, Bob's skipping this, you know, so... But these days, you know, you can look around and see a storm in any direction you look. Uh, your own personal life, I know, uh, the McKinnons just texted me a couple of days ago and said they all have COVID. Boy, there's a storm, you know. And uh, from what I understand from David, uh, Rosemary's holding her own in this, which is good. Everyone else seems to be recovering, which is good. Uh, you know, uh, the currents are, their storm seems to be a slow burn between Oregon and uh, Vermont just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it takes a lot of patience to do that year in and year out. Uh, I know that last month Barbara's storm was uh, a countertop I believe. Uh, whether uh, I, I don't know if it was Barbara's storm or it was the contractor's storm but someone in Pennsylvania had a storm and uh, I, I know that uh, we all face all kinds of problems in life and that's that's what I wanted to look at today as we look at our passage of Scripture. Um, even if it's not you personally, when when you you look at the issues facing our world, uh, every direction you look, you see something that requires you to either be fearful or to be faithful. And that's the question about how are you going to face this storm? I don't know how I'd react if I had a baby that required formula right now. I doubt if I would be very pleasant to be around. Uh, and I don't know how I would react if I were a 50-something uh, or a 40-something in the Ukraine right now. I don't know how I would behave. I, I would like to think I would be faithful and not fearful, but I'm actually fearful for the people that are in the Ukraine, and it's not even my personal storm, you know. Now, last week, we looked at a parable that Jesus taught about soils. And the soils had to do with the preparation of our hearts. And, and the whole issue of that parable, oops, wrong mouse, I've got to get that guy out of the way or I will get confused here. The whole issue of that parable had to do with taking heed how we hear, which is pretty much where we left this last week. This passage about soils teaches us that there are things in our lives that can keep his truth from penetrating. Keep his message, the message of the Holy Spirit, from taking root in our lives. There are obstacles in our life. There are hindrances. There are things that will stop our growth as believers. And the interesting thing about this passage is there is a responsibility that we bear in managing our own soil or our own garden. Now, granted, in that parable, the first obstacle we face is Satan. Satan comes along with our hard heart and the seed of the gospel sits on top of it. And unless we take it in immediately, we find that Satan snatches that truth from us. And very soon our minds have drifted on to something else and we are not saved because of it. And that tells us something, although I believe every one of you have received the gospel message. 
and that every one of you have allowed that seed to penetrate in your heart. There is a truth here that if our hearts are not right, when we hear a message from the Holy Spirit, the Satan can come along and snatch that away before it has an opportunity to take root. And there's a message here about preparing ourselves for any time. I don't mean just when you come to church, but any time you're hoping to hear from God, there has to be a confession, a surrender, and a willingness to receive, you know. But there are other obstacles that Jesus spoke about in that parable. There are hard places in our heart, the rocky soil he speaks of, places that we've held on to all these many years and not allowed any penetration at all, places that we would uh, not really like unearthed, and we'd prefer that the Holy Spirit stay, should I say, keep his nose out of certain parts of our spirit that we don't want him at, hard places where seed cannot penetrate. There are things that we've tucked away, things we hold on to, things that we use to keep God at a distance, and we will not grow until we surrender those areas to him. There are worries and fears, which much of our my message today is about fear. It's about fear in a storm. But there are worries that we have and fears that we face, fears that, refuse, that we refuse to confront. And surrender to God. Fears that we don't want to let go of. Unaware that some of our plans and some of our fears and some of the things we're holding on to are keeping us from God's best for our life. So there's an element of personal responsibility in this. So he teaches this lesson. Jesus teaches this lesson. I'm going to say in the morning, I really don't know what it was. He's at Capernaum, we think. He's on the beach. They retire back to the house, which is Peter's house. And the disciples all pile in. And they probably take a nap. They talk about these, this, uh, this parable. He teaches them privately each of the details of this parable. And then at some point that evening, we pick up in verse 22. If I can get this thing to work. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said to them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. And you read that and you think, well, this is some other time. But Mark tells us it's not some other time. Mark tells us, and the same day, right after the parable of the soils, right after they go into the house and have lunch, I don't even know if they ate lunch, right after they took their nap, I certainly would, and right after he explained it all to them, just after the evening meal, he says to them, hey, let's go for a sail. And that same day when even was come, he said to them, let us pass over to the other side. Now, if you can picture this, and I wonder if I can skip ahead for you, probably be too hard. I'll show you this in a little bit. They're crossing from, I'll show you this in just a bit, the north west corner to the southeast corner from Capernaum down to uh, the land of the Gadarenes. They're going from the west of the Sea of Galilee to the east. Now, you can picture this lovely night sail if you want to, but it wasn't. They took out in the dark and as soon as they took off, he fell asleep. 
And there came down a storm of wind, Luke tells us, on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Now, all three of the gospel writers include this. So Matthew, who was in the boat, Luke was a Gentile physician, saved later, gathered all this information from many of these disciples, heard them tell their stories, took notes and wrote it down. Luke writes, there came down a storm of wind. He got that from one of the sailors. Because you will find that the Sea of Galilee is 686 feet below sea level. They're sailing from the northwest to the southeast into the mountains all around. When they look up ahead, there's these mountains and these valley cliffs coming down. And Gadara was right where there was a little river with a break in the mountain. So that cold air would pour off of those two mountains and down that valley and right down on top of that boat. So Luke, although he wasn't there, he describes it very well because they weren't dealing with wind that was blowing across the water. They were dealing with wind that was blowing down. Now, I'll tell you, I have a boat that's supposedly not supposed to capsize. Now, the reason it won't capsize is it has a lot of weight way down in the bottom. And the more you knock a sailboat over, the more wind spills over the top of the sails if the wind is coming from this direction. And the more the boat heals, the more resistance this weight down here puts on it, so the less it's going to heal. So in theory, in theory, when the wind's blowing this way, it can blow as hard as it wants to, and it's not going to go much beyond 45 degrees. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. But... There was something I learned the hard way is that when a front's coming in, there's a thing called the, the wind shear, and wind shear does not come across horizontally. It comes down at a 45-degree angle. And I found that out by seeing my sails laying in the water one day. And I thought, we're not supposed to heal this far. <laughs> Fortunately, it stopped. I popped back up. We were fine. Well, I may never recover from it, but I was theoretically fine. I'm not sure these boys will ever recover from this because I think that's what they experienced. They didn't just experience wind. They experienced wind that was coming down at an angle. And wind coming down at an angle on a sailboat is terrifying. Now, Matthew adds. Now, Matthew, you recall, was a tax collector. Six of the guys on that boat were sailors. Matthew wasn't. And behold, he wrote, there arose a great tempest in the sea insomuch that the ship was covered with waves he's the only one that was there can you imagine how scared this tax collector was out there in the dark in this storm and the only thing you can see is the, the white reflecting off of the, the surf of the water the, the surge of the sea in the boat mark who also wasn't there but got this information from a friend said there, was a, uh, there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So basically what they were doing is bailing like crazy. And they came to him and awoke him. Do you think he was asleep? He could have been. I mean, the day, the schedule that Jesus kept, I, I could imagine him possibly being asleep, but I think he was pretending to be asleep. I don't know how anyone could sleep in that situation with waves breaking over your, your bed. I mean, he's in the back seat of the boat 
with water sloshing all around. Guys are screaming, bailing like mad. People are hollering. I just, just, I think he's laying there with his eyes closed, waiting to see what these guys are going to do. And they came to him saying, Master, Master, we perish. I really like the other guys. They do even a better job. Mark, uh, Mark, um, I'm sorry, Matthew adds, Lord, save us. We're perishing here. And of course, uh, Mark, I, I like his the best. Uh, and I don't know who he got this from. Mark was not there, but somebody on that boat squealed and told Mark that they said to him, don't you care that we're perishing? Carest thou not that we perish? You know, one of the things I like about that phrase is I have said it myself many times in a crisis, and I bet you have too. Lord, can't you see what's going on here? Don't you even care? Don't you see how we're struggling here? Don't you see the danger we're in? Don't you see how this person is acting? Don't you know what's going on here? Don't you care? Don't you care? You know you're in a storm where deep in your heart, your humanity cries out, does God care? And you know, that question is being asked all over our world right now. Does God care? Does God care? Now, those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, we know the answer to that, even though we ask the question. We know he cares. We're just afraid. And fear is driving us to think he doesn't care. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. At one point, and I don't know which gospel writer wrote it, he looked into the wind and he said, be muzzled. And the wind stopped. And he said to them, where's your faith? Now, if you can picture these guys soaking wet, standing there holding their buckets, looking at him after the wind just stopped and looking at one another, and he says to them, where's your faith? I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding? Are you kidding? We're terrified here. What do you mean faith? He's rebuking them for their lack of faith. And they being afraid wondered, saying one to one another, what manner of man is this? For he commanded even the winds and the water and they obey him. Now Mark adds to that, and they feared exceedingly. And the word implies that their fear of the calm was greater than their fear of the storm. They were so shocked by what Jesus did in this situation. Could anything have happened here outside of God's will? Think who's on the boat. These guys knew who Jesus was by now. They knew he was God. Could anything happen here outside of God's will? Now, Chuck Messler asked, could anything bad have happened here? But bad things happen and they seem to be within God's will. But could anything have happened on that boat that God himself did not allow? I think in your heart, you automatically answer no. Nothing could have happened on that boat that was outside of the will of God. 
easy for us to say 2,000 years later, isn't it? We're not the ones standing waist deep in water holding the bucket. But the same thing is true for us. If you've invited Christ into your heart, he is on your boat. And there is nothing going to happen to us that is outside of God's will. Now, I, I, I believe that nothing is going to happen to any of us that is outside of God's will. But that does not mean we won't be standing waist deep in water one day, holding a bucket, bailing as frantically as we can. And crying out, Lord, I know you're in control of this, but you know I'm bailing as hard as I can and I'm losing here. That's a real prayer. When you're waist deep in water and your boat is sinking and you know God's with you, but you can't do it on your own. That's faith in a storm. Doesn't mean you're not bailing. Doesn't mean you're not afraid. Doesn't mean you're not wet all over. It doesn't mean your boat's going to keep floating. It just means you know God's in control. That's the faith that Jesus was looking for. I don't think he expected them to rebuke the wind. I think he expected them to be afraid. I think he expected them to be bailing their brains out, although I don't know how many buckets you carried on one of those little fishing boats. I bet they were wishing there were 12, though. You know. But I do think he didn't expect them or he didn't want them to turn on him and say, carest thou not that we perish. I think he wanted them to say, Lord, excuse me, but the water's getting deep and you may be having trouble sleeping there on that bed. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind sitting up, we could bail next to you, Lord. <laughs> I don't think he wants us to holler at him. Don't you care? God does care. God cares about everything you're going through. Everything that's of concern to you. And fear, as Linda is wont to say, is the opposite of faith. So you know that deep in your heart, when you're fearful, you're not trusting him. Can anything happen outside of God's will when Jesus is in us? I think the answer is no. But can we really trust God's will? That's the test. Now, I probably should have put this map earlier on, and I had it stretched out to fill the whole screen, but it looked really odd. But you can see on the upper upper corner, on a little to the left of center, you can see Capernaum, which is where they set sail from. And I really thought they went due east, but they didn't. You can see Gadara down at the bottom on the right-hand side with that big red uh, dot, uh, that Google dot there. I don't think they got as far as the town of Gadara. I think they just got to the shore in between Gadara and Hippos there. That's Decapolis over there on the, on, on, let's see, that's your right, on your right-hand side. That's Decapolis, and there's ten cities there. Deca means ten. There are ten Roman cities on that side. It was not Jewish. You know, I've, I've heard sermons saying that these Jews shouldn't have been raising hogs anyway. Well, these weren't Jews anyway. These were Gentiles. These were Gentile lands. And Jesus went over there specifically I think, my opinion, specifically to save this one Gentile possessed of a demon. One man. 
I don't think they made it much farther than the shore there, but you can see the mountains around there, and you can see how those mountains would follow winds down on the lake. And you could imagine a windstorm where a cold front came in from the southeast, the lower right-hand side, uh, and came in on the Sea of Galilee. You can see how a storm could be incredible. Anyhow, should have put that a little sooner, I'm sorry. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee, on the opposite side from Galilee. Galilee is upon your left, there on the right. And when they went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and wore no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. Does the next verse talk about the chains? No, no, it was a different version that did that. Anyway, they... Uh, oh, it does, it does. When you get down to verse 29, it says... Uh, for oftentimes it had caught him and it was kept bound with chains and fetters and break the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. So the town's solution to this, uh, this uh, mental illness, do we dare call it that, was to chain this guy. And, and he was so wild and so crazy, he would break the chains and run around in the boondocks around that area there, stark naked, screaming. Now, we also learned, I believe from Matthew, that there were two of them. But Luke only refers to this one. So I don't know if you can picture this, but, you know, like I said, six of them were sailors. Uh, Jesus was Lord of the weather, but the other six weren't. And they just climbed out of that boat, probably thinking to themselves, I'm going to walk home. Uh, I'll, I, the lake's not that big, I'll walk around it. And about the time they get done puking and get the solid foot on the ground, here comes down out of the hills, the rocky hills, a naked man screaming at the top of his lung like some lunatic, waving his arms, running down the hill, running directly at them and screaming. That's the second storm. This crazy guy is their second storm. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, or I beg you, torment me not. Now Luke adds parenthetically, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. So as this guy was running towards them, Jesus commanded the demon to come out of the lunatic. And the man fell down before Jesus' feet. Now this guy, I would love to know what he was thinking, but he knew he was in deep spiritual trouble. He knew he was being possessed by demons, a demon or demons. The demon called himself legion, for there were many. There's many as one to 5,000 Roman soldiers in a Roman legion, so we really don't know how many demons were there, but there were 2,000 hogs. Now, maybe five of them went crazy and the whole herd ran into the ocean. We don't know. There could have been anywhere from five to 5,000 demons in this guy. And I want you to notice this verse. Every time Jesus is confronted by a demon, the demon knows who he is. So whereas the Jewish leadership didn't know who he was, the Jewish people didn't know who he was, the demons, they knew who he was. 
And they know some things about him. If you look at this passage, which is unrelated to my story in a way, but it's interesting that they know, the demons know, that Jesus has complete authority over them. There's none of this, who do you think you are? Or why do you think I should listen to you? Or any of that. They know who he is. And they're, they're, they're actually begging him not to start punishing them before their time. And that tells you they know what's coming. They've read the same scriptures you've read. They know what's ahead for them. And they know that they are judged already. They're not, they're not asking for mercy here. They also know, is it in this passage here? Well, it's here somewhere. I'll get to it. They, they're concerned. It may have been a different, it may have been a different, may have been Mark or Matthew. I'm just not seeing it as I scan it. They, said, they say in Luke, torment me not, but, but in one of the other versions, they, they don't want to be cast into the deep, it says. And the deep is the abuso, and the Greek word abuso means the bottomless pit. So not only do they know who Jesus is, they know he's the judge, they know he has authority over them, they know they're already judged, and they know that their eternity is in the bottomless pit, which is a fascinating story on their ability to understand end times prophecy, isn't it? Now, Jesus says to them, if I can change it, uh, what is thy name? It's traditional when you're casting out a demon in Israel to ask to make the demon state their name. So this is pretty common. This is typical Jewish exorcism. And the, the, the demon answered and said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they, oh, there's a phrase there. I just saw it. And they besought him that he would not command them to go into the abuso, the deep, the bottomless pit. They know that's where they're supposed to go. Now, what's the next one? See if I. And there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. He is referring to the, the particular demon that's doing the speaking. All right. Whereas there's multiple demons involved there. And he besought, and, and oh no, it says, and they besought him that he, Jesus, would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Now you gotta ask yourself, why? Why did Jesus do that? First of all, if these are fallen angels, they've somehow lost their ability of independent life because an angel, as we know it, does not need to be indwelling some other living being. Whatever these creatures are. They're somehow unable to live on their own. They're either going to be an eternity in the abyss or they're going to be indwelling something. Now, shortly, Jesus is going to give them permission to indwell the hogs. Now, some have speculated that the reason he allows them to go into that herd of swine is to show them that these demons were real. And that the fact that there were 2,000 hogs that killed themselves tells you this was a serious affliction of this man. It, it kind of proves the validity of what's being said, whereas if the guy would have just gone, poof, I'm fine and nothing would have happened, you might have questioned whether there was even demons involved. But since the demons were allowed to go into the swine, which interestingly enough, the man was able to tolerate for many years, but the swine couldn't handle for two minutes. They said, I ain't sticking up with this demon. They went out and drowned themselves. They'd rather be dead than have this demon in them, which is interesting. The, dog, the hogs had better taste than the man, which is curious. And when you think about it a little bit, when you know 
that Jesus has the ability to heal you of some malady, that rock that I talked about in the beginning, that obstacle in your life that's holding you back from God. When you know that Jesus has the ability to deal with, I, I hesitate to use the word heal, but heal is a good choice, to heal that particular problem you're dealing with, but you choose to endure, endure what you've carried all these many years rather than come to Jesus and be delivered of it, you're more like this demoniac than a hog. Because the hog, as soon as he got that demon, said, I'm done with that, I'm out of here. You know, so it's interesting that, uh, that this man who came and ran at Jesus' feet was able to endure what these hogs could not. It's amazing what we can put up with in our lives, isn't it? What we get used to when it comes to our own sins and our addictions and the, the hard places in our life. But if you could focus on that hard place in your life right now, that rock, and imagine what your life would be like if Jesus removed it, you have a picture of what this man's life is going to be like right now. Because those demons are gone. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place and into the lake and were choked. So this is not a good time to discuss why demons have to inhabit something. But I'm wondering if they can inhabit a hog, can they inhabit a fish? And what would a demon-possessed fish act like? You know, we, we caught a bass one time in the Hudson River and the guy said it was the PCPs that were in the river that made it act like that. But we caught a fish that I've never seen a fish act like that in my life. When he jumped in the boat, we threw him out. We're in this little dinghy and the boat, Rob and I were scared. I've never seen a fish behave that way. And it was like, oh my God, we threw him out. <laughs> we don't want that, we don't want that. Is, that, is that fish demon possessed? I, I don't know, I don't even know if it's possible. Well. And when they that fed them, so that's the second storm. The first storm was a windstorm. The second storm was, you know, pick your number, a legion of demons. And immediately at the word of Jesus, the storm stopped. And the men were terrified. And immediately at the word of Jesus, the demons were gone. And the man was sitting there. And they that sat there and saw it, the people that kept the swine, the the farmers that were there, they were terrified. And when the defendants saw that was done, they fled and went and told the city and in the country. And they, then they went out to see what was done. They came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They weren't afraid of the guy. They, they didn't mind chaining him to the rocks for years. But they were terrified that Jesus put him in his right mind. Just like before, they were more afraid. Well, I noted in my notes, they were more afraid of the demoniac healed than they were crazy. But actually, I think they were more afraid of Jesus. I think they recognized there was a power in their presence that went beyond all demonic powers that they worshipped. And that, that area of the country was known for its demonism and its worship of false gods and the evil that they permitted. And they realized that something greater than anything they had ever worshipped in their lives was sitting there on that boat. And they were terrified. 
They also which saw it told them by what means he was possessed of the devils was healed and the whole multitude of the country of the Gadarenes round about besought him to depart from them. For they were taken with great fear. Remember faith is the opposite of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. For they were taken with great fear and he went up into the ship and returned back again. What a sad, sad story. Now there's this guy that's been crazy most of his life with these devils. And the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him, Jesus, that he might be with him. Can I go back with you? I would feel the same way. These people in town, all they do is chain me to a rock. They don't care anything about me. You know, but Jesus wouldn't let him. He was going to be the testimony to the power of God in the Gentile world in which he lived. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city how great things Jesus had done to him. It's going to be interesting to meet this guy one day in heaven and all the people that he influenced to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Little, little tiny things that you do Little things that you do can turn the tide of the future of other people. Just the fact that the way you got saved, or telling someone how you got saved, or sharing what Jesus did in your life can open a crack to where they're ready to receive something from the Lord Jesus Christ because of what you said. Be interesting when we get to heaven to see this fabric all woven together of all the different influences that all of our lives together have made on one another and how God used that to knit together the whole church of God. But our chapter today is a sad chapter. It's all about fear. It's all about fear stopping God from working in our lives. Some people were afraid to open the door and let God into their soul. Satan came along and stole that promised seed. <clears throat> and they're spending eternity in hell. <clears throat> because they were afraid. Some were afraid to let God deal with those hard places in their life. They didn't want to let go. They didn't want God to see what was under that rock. So they lived under the control of that hard place and they died under its crushing power. Some were afraid to let go of control of those secret things that they had going on in their lives, but they didn't want the Holy Spirit to interfere with. And because of that, God could not help them. <clears throat> when God came to them that day and showed them his power, the Gadarens said, go away. We don't want you here. And we've done that too. God's come to us and showed us his power and said, I can deal with that problem in your life. And we've said, I don't want to deal with it now. We'll do it another day. There were some that were afraid that God meant to do them harm. I know those disciples were wondering, did he bring us out here to drown us? You ever feel that way? Did you bring me all the way out here? Isn't that what the Jews said in the wilderness? 
Weren't there enough graves in Egypt you had to bring us out here to kill us? Boy, that's the opposite of faith, isn't it? Some are afraid that God actually means to do them harm. And they turn him away when his plan is so much greater than that. So much greater than that. I like this verse. We're not there yet, but uh, Luke chapter 12. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, so often fears cut us off from your promises in our life and your ability to work in us and through us. Forgive us, Lord, for our fear. Make us more courageous. Give us more faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.